Uh, good morning. So yes, my name is Jessica Evans, um, recent Evans, and I feel really privileged to be speaking to you guys today, very, almost overwhelmingly privileged to be up here. And I thought I'd just quickly start off my message by, um, oh, I don't know what the word would be, to preface that just, I'd want to preface before I start that I have loved God all my life, and I have obviously done Bible studies, um, and yeah, I've grown up in a Christian home, but I have never properly, fully like studied the Bible to a theological level. So if I say anything today that you don't agree with, I apologize, and I, where I'm coming from with my message is just where I am in my journey with Christ, and obviously we're all different, so I apologize if you don't agree with what I say. Um, but if you haven't been here for the past few weeks, we have been exploring this really cool, sorry, I realized that I haven't put, there we go. Um, we've been going through this really cool sermon series called The Starting Point. And if you haven't been here, pretty much we've just been talking for the past four weeks about what it looks like to start a relationship with Christ, whether that be um, when you were a child and if you grew up in a Christian family and grew up going to church and you've stayed pretty consistent and are still a Christian today, or if you grew up in a Christian home and then kind of fell away from the church as you became a teenager and then when you hit adulthood, you've come back to church again, or whether that be you're only just meeting Jesus now or that you haven't yet met him. Um, This sermon series is super relevant for everyone because we've all had a starting point or will have a starting point with our relationship with Christ. So I get the privilege of <laughs> looking at this question up on the screen. What can wash away my sin? Big question, right? Freaked out when I saw that this is what I had to preach on. And um, I'm sure it's a question that a lot of us have asked ourselves at one point in our Christian journey, or even just in our lives in general. What can you know wash away my mistakes? What can like, forgive me of what I've done in my past. And I'm sure that this question has been something that generations, um, our ancestors and generations, you know, before us have also um, asked. Um, And so just to the purpose of this message, just to simplify the word sin or mistakes and just to simplify that whole concept, I put it into three groups. So the first group that I want, the first concept of sin or mistakes that I want to talk about um, is the outer layer, and that is looking at it as child mistakes. So these are mistakes that we make when we're children or when we're quite young. Usually we make them when we have lack of information or when we are still learning what is right and wrong and we usually have you know, an adult or a teacher or someone who is a mentor with us, um, helping us and guiding us through understanding what is right and wrong. So you might hear your parents say something like, um, don't lie, don't fib, um, don't stick your tongue out at people, that's, that's rude. Don't use those words. Don't bite people, which was one that was said in my household um, quite a bit for all my sisters. And probably, honestly, it's still being said at the moment. But, um, you know, so all of these little, little things that our parents tell us, these little mistakes that we make as children. And um, one mistake or thing that I used to do as a child is I... Um, used to be quite unkind to my sisters. I've got three of them. You've met Jada probably, and half of you probably know Bella and Ruby as well, but I am the second child. And I don't know if there are any other second or middle children in here, but 
I felt it was my duty from a very young age, like almost out of the womb, that it was my duty to be the antagonizer of the family. And man, did I play this role well, still do play this role really, really, really well. So I knew what buttons to push and when, and who, who to talk to and who to like push over the edge and when, when I need to push them over the edge. Um, and I used to tip my sisters to boiling point. Um, and there was this one time that I remember, and she's not here today, so it's fine. I haven't actually even asked for permission to say the story, but I'm pretty sure she said it a few times and she's told people, so it's all good. But um, there was this one time when we were young, back in primary school, and I must have just been antagonizing my older sister, Ruby, just pushing her buttons, saying something, annoying her to the max. And um, one thing that I'm really, really, really good at is when I'm doing this to someone and, and annoying them, you know, stirring the pot, I'm really good at keeping like a cool, calm composure and as they freak out. So here, here we are, I'm talking to her, I'm saying something, you know, annoying her and here she is and she just all of a sudden bursts and gets angry at me and she must have done it while when mum had walked around the corner because mum got so angry at Ruby and she, you know, pointed a finger at me. It was just, you know, I was there like, whoa, 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 hold up, horsey, I haven't done anything here, acting all innocent. And so she got, she got sent to her room. And when we used to live in Sydney, we had this house where we had this rumpus room kind of built onto the outside of the house. And so Ruby's bedroom had a window that she could look into the rumpus room. And it was kind of like a two, almost two-story house where she would be like looking down. And, you know, we had a TV and couches and all of our play stuff there. That's where we used to hang out. It's um, like a playroom, pretty much. And um, so she got sent to her room, me knowing full well that she got sent to her room. And mum was vacuuming the house, you know, as a good mother does, vacuuming the house, and she goes into the rumpus room and starts vacuuming. And knowing that Ruby was in her room and that she could see through the window, I follow in after mum. And as soon as Ruby saw me, she just started getting angry again. She's crying at this time. She used to reach boiling point really easily. Actually still does. <laughs> um, and so she was crying, she was banging on this window and I was just behind mum. Mum was vacuuming, obviously not giving her two thoughts and I was just looking at her like, whatever kid, you know, whatever faces kid, kids pull, I was just looking going, that sucks for you, you know, just making fun of her, kind of pushing her, still pushing her when I really should have stopped. Um, and then all of a sudden, she's banging, mum, look at Jess, she's the one who is annoying me, she said this, she said that. Bang, she smashes this window, shock fills mum's face like mum is furious at Ruby and you can imagine the face that I pulled knowing that I just got away with pretty much murder like looking at her shocked happy with myself she got in trouble so mistakes were made that day right Ruby broke a window she didn't know how to control her emotions and that's stuff that kids do right they break things they throw tantrums, oh, I just spat. Um, they throw tantrums, they don't know how to control their emotions. Common mistakes that children make. <laughs> My mom's looking at me, and yes, obviously, I'm still learning how to not be an antagonizer. It is something that I'm actively working on. So you don't need to, you don't need to worry about my family or my husband, they're fine. Um, so these mistakes, they're easily forgiven. They're easily forgiven. You wake up the next day, me and Ruby were best friends by dinner time. Like, you wake up the next day and you're fine. You know, they're forgiven, they're made right by the people around you, your parents, you know, 
tell each other you're sorry, you know, you're forgiven, and then you forget about them, right? They are, I like to call them low-risk learning mistakes as a child. And then we have our next layer. And as you grow into a teenager, you start making some mistakes that are a little bit more, a little bit more um, risky. They're a little bit more embarrassing because maybe they happen in front of people. Um, they're a little bit more serious. And they're mistakes that we make when there's a little bit more expectation on us to do and to know what the right thing is. So, for example, cheating on a test. Now, I can bet you bottom dollar that half of you guys have cheated on a test. But do you remember, do you, like, do you hold that? No. Also, high school kids don't listen. Cheating on tests is really bad. But that is a teenage mistake sometimes that we make. Not doing chores when you're asked to do chores. For me, and I got a really great reminder up on the stage when they sang um, Run to the Father, for me, asking the band to start over because I started singing in the wrong key, just for them to start over for me to start singing in the wrong key again. Embarrassing, right? Like, just, just mistakes that are made that are a little bit embarrassing. But then you wake up the next day or the next week, and even though you felt guilt and shame and regret maybe at the time, you wake up the next week and it doesn't really stick with you, right? You, you know, you, you move on. You move on. They don't stay with you as we grow older. And then we become adults. And now you can make child mistakes as an adult and teenage mistakes as a child and blah, blah, blah. I'm just putting them into categories of complexity. But then you become an adult and you start to make decisions that alter and change the direction of your life, right? And the mistakes and sins that I would like to categorize, um, categorize as adult mistakes are ones, I like to liken them to shipwrecks because they leave a whole lot of emotional debris in your world and in the world of those around you. And they murky the waters a little bit. They create swells. They create rips in our worlds. And um, they bring on a whole new level of shame and guilt and regret and instead of those feelings going away the next day or the next week, we actually carry those feelings with us for a really long time, right? And then you find that you've got whole seasons of your life that you just wish you could go back and undo and relive, right, and, and change. And you really hope that nobody asks about what happened with your first boyfriend or your first girlfriend or even your first wife or first husband, and you really hope no one brings up that thing that you did a long, long time ago, back when you were in uni, that you just have regretted ever since. And you really hope that no one finds out about these mistakes that you made years ago, that you've been holding on to. You really hope that no one finds out about that mistake that you might have made in the privacy of your bedroom, on your phone, when you told everyone that you'd never do something like that or that really bad financial decision that you made when you were in a really, really desperate place. These decisions and these mistakes and sins that we make as adults, they stick with us for a really, really long time. And then we do all of these kinds of things to try and answer this question and find a solution. You know, for some people it might be, I don't know, maybe running to alcohol, using substances that can just distract you and make you forget about these things that you did in your past. For some people, you're throwing yourself into work so that you don't, maybe don't have to be at home um, or think about what happened at home. And I think for Christians, a really hard pill to swallow is that we don't realise that we actually make these mistakes after we have 
had a starting point with Christ as well. We make these mistakes, and for Christians, maybe some things that we do is we maybe run away from the church a little bit, and we distance ourselves from the church because we don't want to feel that shame and that regret of that mistake we made. Or for some people, we tithe a little bit more, or we serve a little bit more, or we throw ourselves more into the church um, to try and wash ourselves clean of this mistake that we made. And some people in the crowd, you are, you know, older than me and probably, uh, definitely a lot wiser, you'd probably agree that time does heal some of these wounds and heal some of these mistakes. So here you are walking along, you know, thinking that you've distanced yourself well away from this mistake and from your past. You're walking along, you're thinking everything's fine, and then all of a sudden you hear that name, his name, her name, and your stomach just drops and your lungs tighten, and you just pray to God that you never, ever have to see that person from your past ever again. And you just pray that you never have to go back to that place where that thing occurred, and you pray that no one finds out about that mistake that happened years ago. What can wash away my sins, my mistakes, my shame, my guilt? How can I forget these things that I've done in my past, these adult mistakes? Another solution to this question that people explore um, is that they tell themselves the story that I am going to be better this time. I will be better. I'm going to be better for my, for my new relationship. I'm going to be better for my kids. I'm going to be better for my parents, for my boss, for my, for my wife, for my husband. I'm going to be better. And we take all of these steps to um, self-healing, to try and be better. Um, but the fact is, no matter how much of that sin that you don't do in your past, no matter how much, how good you are, how much you, you know, have you know, forgiven yourself for what you did, no matter how much of that you don't do anymore, it doesn't wash away or get rid of what you did in your past, right? And a funny thing about mistakes and sin is that they do tend to jump up in your future here and there, right? So... Oh, where am I? Sorry, here you go. So, we try and forget our mistakes and our sins by running or distracting ourselves. We try and be a better person and, and undergo self-healing um, and try to forgive ourselves and tell ourselves that we are going to be better this time um, to try and undo the past. And another solution that people might dive into is religion, right? And most religions of the world that we live in today have their own solution to this question, right? So you've got like Islam, they um, believe that sincere repentance to Allah, their God, sincere repentance and promise to never ever commit that sin again is what washes them clean and cleans them of what they did in the past. And obviously there's a lot more to it. This is just really like, um, really simple, simplified. Um, and then you've got Hinduism, and they believe in acts and fasting and reciting of sacred scriptures and observing um, special, special days will rid them of the mistakes that they made in their past. And then we've got Judaism, which is the religion that we're really similar to. We sprouted from Judaism, right? So we have similar, pretty similar beliefs, but some very, very fundamental differences, one being that they don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, whereas we do. And they also believe um, in Judaism that we are responsible for our own sin and that we are born, when we are born into the world, we are sin-free, clean slate, sin-free, whereas we believe in original sin. 
I'm looking at Neil to give me a yeah, potential. Yeah, we believe in original sin. That we we are born into a sinful world, and that we are sinful beings, right? Until we find the Messiah, the Savior. So they believe um, that we have like this evil inclination, and the word that they use for evil inclination is yetsahara. Um, and pretty much a simplified way of understanding this evil inclination that we have because they believe we make the mistakes. Obviously, we make the mistakes, but it's because of this evil inclination. A simple way to understand that is Sigmund Freud's concept of our id. Um, and that is, if you've ever seen a cartoon child cartoon TV show, you've got an angel on one side and a devil on one side. And our id is this devil. And it's the one that really encourages us to go for what we desire and to give into our selfish desires. Um, and our, oh, where am I? I hear you. Sorry. Um, and our id, it is our unconscious mind, and it operates according to the pleasure principle. So all our needs should be met immediately. So their solution to this problem and to when we, you know, give into our id and make mistakes, their solution um, is sacrificing the blood of an innocent animal to atone for the sins. And they would do this as a family to atone for the sins of the family. And then once a year, the whole nation of Israel would come together and they would celebrate Yom Kippur. And they would do this and they would atone for the nation's sins as well. And this happened up until about 70 AD when the second temple was destroyed and they were forced to flee into the wilderness and they were forced to learn how to sacrifice and how to, be, how to have their sins atoned for without a temple. And so Judaism now teaches, oh sorry, Judaism now teaches that prayer and repentance is a replacement for the sacrifice of blood. And now just want to preface the conversation of repentance and trying to be better and running away from our sins is a really important conversation to have as Christians. Really, really important. But just for this message, um, I'm going to leave that for another message just because we are looking at what can wash away our sins in Christianity. But that is a very important conversation to have. So we jump forward a few, um, back obviously when they were sacrificing animals, we jump forward um, back in the Old, Old Testament. We jump forward to the book of John. And there is this really crucial character in the book called John the Baptist, who a lot of us may know. Um, he is, and he was an end time preacher, pretty much. And he was really active around the area of the Jordan River. And he preached about God's final judgment. And he preached the end time message, and preach about repentance and forgiveness of sins. And he would baptize people in the river. And this was a really, really big deal in this time, a scandal, if you will, because back in those days, they, if you would grow up pretty much in a religion and you would stay in your religion. You wouldn't really do this church hopping thing where you would try and find another church. You'd just stay in the religion that you grew up in. And so there were sometimes in some cases, very rare, I guess, but there were cases where there were people who wanted to become, um, wanted to move into a different religion. So, you know, say you have Jewish and Gentiles. There would sometimes be a Gentile who might want to become a Jew. And so they figured out how to do this, and they created this whole big um, ceremony where you had to get circumcised, and you had to, you know, proclaim your sins, and then you would get baptized. So Baptizing was a really big deal in that day, really big deal. And the significance of water and the symbolism of water was that it would purify you. 
purify your heart, and it would renew you. It would wipe your slate clean. And so for John the Baptist to be, to be doing this, it was a really, really big deal because he was pretty much saying, I'm baptizing you into, you know, the Jewish religion, um, or I'm baptizing you. Um, pretty much he was baptizing because he, I don't know how to put this into words, he's pretty much baptizing because he thought everyone in that day, Gentiles, Israelites, Pharisees, Sadducees, everyone was unclean, and he needed to prepare these people for the end times. And in Matthew 3, he talks about the Messiah coming, and that no one is safe from judgment, and that when the Messiah comes, he will clear the threshing floor, um, and that any tree that doesn't bear good fruit will be thrown into the fire. And um, thousands of people came to hear this message. Thousands of people, as he was baptizing people, cleansing them of their sins, Thousands of people came, and you know, just reading the Bible, um, reading this Bible passage, you don't really understand, I don't really understand geographically where things are, but when you look it up, if you look on your phone and look at Google, um, the Jordan River is 150 plus k's away from the city of Jerusalem, plus, so this was a few days journey going to, go, going to the Jordan River. And so thousands of people made this journey because they heard what he was saying. They heard that he was calling people to repent. And so they came and they went. And so, of course, someone attracting such large crowds would cause the leaders, the um, Pharisees and the spiritual leaders of that time, to be like, what the ho hey, right? And I kind of understand it as if, you know, we're at big camp and all of a sudden some son of a gun comes in and starts preaching to us and is attracting all of, you know, all of our people and, and he starts preaching to us and, um, you know, like all the leaders, like Neil Redman and, you know, all of them would be like, um, excuse me, what's happening right here? Do you know what I mean? Like if he starts preaching like a different message. So um, it was a really big deal. So they were like, who are you? Are you the Messiah? And old mate was like, no, I'm not the Messiah which, of course, would be, like, mind-boggling for these Pharisees. Like, why are you doing this? What are you doing then? And he said that I am preparing, he says in this passage, I am preparing a way for someone who is coming after me who is the Messiah. And, um, and, um, let me just find where I was. Um, oh, yes. And then they, ask, they go on to ask him to see what authority, you know, he, they ask in this passage, what authority are you doing these things under, right? Because they would be just absolutely mind-blowing. Um, and so the next day, when he's do, still doing his thing, baptizing people, dunking people, preaching, repent, 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 he's still doing this. All of a sudden, from left field, Jesus walks towards him. And I don't know whether Jesus was going to, like, just get baptized as a normal person or if... I'm sure he knew that this was going to happen, but I don't... Yeah, we don't know what happened then. But um, he was walking towards, and John the Baptist says, wait, hold up, wait. And he points at Jesus as he's walking towards him, and he, he calms the crowds, the thousands that are there to hear him speak. He says, hold up. Who knows if he had someone under the water at the time? He said, hold up, just wait. Look, the Lamb of God, and I want to highlight the word lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And pretty much when John said this in front of the crowds, he called Jesus the Lamb of God, right? 
And at that time, like, the people would understand that, like, the, the lamb symbolizes gentleness, purity, innocence, but they also would associate the lamb with slaughtering an innocent animal to atone for their sins, right? So when he said, the lamb of God, the lamb of God is coming and he is going to take away the sins of the world. I wonder if anyone in that crowd clued on to the fact that this was going to be the lamb, the lamb of God, the one who is going to be slaughtered to take away my sins. I wonder if anyone clued on that he was the lamb, the one to atone for the sins. So we skip forward a few years after Jesus' ministry takes off, and we come to the story of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And Jesus is sharing his last meal with, um, with his disciples, and this was around the time of the Passover feast. Um, and they had just slaughtered the lamb, and they were celebrating. And during this feast, oh, actually, I'll just, the Passover feast was celebrated, and it was a big deal. It's like Christmas to us, like a big deal. Pretty much all the families of Israel celebrated because they were celebrating the freedom that God gave them um, from the Egyptians when they were slaves in Egyptian, um, slaves to the Egyptians in the Exodus. So it's a big deal. They're celebrating. They're thanking God for what He did for them, um, for what He did. And this whole week they were celebrating. You know, it was a big celebration, just like Christmas should be celebrated for two months before Christmas. Am I right, Boston? Um, he actually won't let me put my Christmas tree up until December first, so it's okay. I'm over it. I'm over it. Yeah, it's okay. I'm over it. Whatever. Um, and so he stands up during this feast and he breaks the bread. Yeah, that's good enough. Can't read it from up there. Um, he breaks the bread and he says to them, "This is the body that I have given." Do this in remembrance of me. Break the bread in remembrance of me. And just keep in mind that during this time, they were remembering remembering the Passover and the freedom that God gave them over the Passover. So they were breaking the bread and and being told, do this in remembrance of me. Um, And then he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant between God and his people, talking about his blood. Um, An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And this would have been a really big statement to make, right? Um, Because he was saying, this is my blood. This is my blood, not the blood of the lamb that we sacrifice before, not the blood of any other animals. My blood, my blood is going to atone for your sins and will be put as a sacrifice for you and will create a new covenant between you and God. And this moment has been accounted for in both Luke, Matthew, and Mark. And it's, it's worded a little bit differently. So in Mark, it says, this is the, represent, this the representation of my blood, confirming the covenant between, covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. And in Matthew 26, it says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And Christianity, going back to how religions, what religion solutions are for this question. Christianity is the only religion that I've come across. And I don't know, again, I haven't really studied the religions of the world. Um, And so I don't know there may be a religion out there 
that does, but and that's similar. But Christianity is the only religion that I've come across where a man comes and instead of saying, this is the solution, this is what you need to do to be washed from your sins, this is what you need to do to be washed from those past mistakes that you made, this is what you need to do. Instead, he stands up and he says, I am the solution to this question. Me, my blood, I am the Lamb of God. And you can live your whole life. If you're sitting here and you're like, seriously, Jess, this doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I'm just going to do it my way. You can live your whole life searching for the solution to this question. Do what you want, right? Like, you all have freedom of choosing what to do. You can live your whole life searching for the answer to this question. But if you are struggling with this question and you're struggling with some things that you did back in your past that you have tried to get away from, no matter how many things that you do, you try and get away from it, you can't. I really encourage you to look into this solution, Jesus Christ. I encourage you to explore his death and who he is and what he did for us. Because he says, your debt, my debt, our debt has been cancelled, forgiven, washed away by his blood. He was the, the sacrificial lamb sacrificed on the cross for us. And nothing we will ever be able to do will ever be, um, will do, will ever be able to undo what we've done. But like I said, the blood of Christ can. And as I finish, I just want to invite the band up to do our last song. Now, this doesn't give us permission to go and make mistakes because I haven't met, I don't know if you guys have, I haven't met anyone in the world who's like, I want to ruin my life. I want to make a mistake. And I'm sure for people in this crowd who have made a mistake as well in their past, I'm sure you guys would be like, nah, there's no way that I want to go back there and do that again, right? Because like I said before, mistakes are like shipwrecks, right? They're horrible at the time. You feel like you're sinking to the bottom of the, to the ocean, right? You're, it makes you feel like the whole world is just sinking and crumbling and splitting in half. And so, of course, the question that leaves... Oh, maybe I invited you guys up too early. Oh, it's fine. You guys can stand there. Sorry. <laughs> of course, the question then is, well, you know, I know now what can wash away my sins. But Jess, dang nabbit, I still have these memories of what I've done in my past. Past. <laughs> Channeling my American speaker. Um, what do I do about these memories that I have? And the thing is, every time that we think about what we've done in our past, I don't know about you, but I liken it to, like I just instantly will think I'm a failure. I should be condemned. What a loser. Why did I do that? You know, and you just um, instantly think um, regret, shame, emotions that are just, you know, you instantly attach that. And that's just what we do, right? But because of the good news of Christ, because Jesus actually washed away those things that we did, God wants us to create new memories and, and create um, new mental memorials for our past, right? So instead of thinking, when we think about that mistake that we made, instead of thinking, oh my gosh, I'm such a loser, like, why did I do that? Like, and just feeling shame, guilt, regret, shame, guilt, regret, shame, guilt, regret. Instead of thinking that, God is asking us to remember and to see what he's actually done on the cross for us. And when we think about that thing that we did, we can actually take a step back and think, whoa, I don't need to feel those emotions anymore because God has forgiven me. 
and he's given his son to sacrifice for my sins. And as we start to heal and move on, and as we, obviously it's not an easy road, like it takes time to change our, our thought about ourselves, you know. But um, God wants us to start thinking about and associating our mistakes with what God has done for us now. And we can look back at our mistakes and what we've done in the past and we can think, oh my gosh, look how far I've come now from what I did. That's no longer who I am. It's no longer what I do anymore. I am new because God has made me new and he has said I am forgiven. So I am forgiven. And the beauty of a shipwreck, now I'm no marine biologist, so I did a quick research, but the beauty of a shipwreck, as horrible as it is at the time, is over time, as, you know, it begins to heal and things start to settle, a shipwreck actually becomes a whole new ecosystem for marine life. And, I don't know, I'm looking at Jade, he's the ego, yeah, okay. (laughs) Um, And the shipwrecks can be used as a whole new stable foundation, a frame for survival for a whole new family of marine life. So when we rewire our brains to look back at our mistakes and sins that we have, um, and look back at our mistakes and our sins, we can look at them and think, man, look at how far I've come. We can see, see them as historical landmarks in our life of what we once did maybe, have been forgiven for, and look how far we have grown. Look how far we have come. Look how far we are. Um, it produces growth. It produces character. And is, it's actually a testimony. And for all of us in this room who, you know, if someone says, what's your testimony? And you're like, I love Jesus Christ. You can actually say, this is my testimony. You know, we have a testimony. And this is it, is that Jesus died to forgive me of that thing that I once did. Our sins have already been forgiven by the grace of God. A bit cheesy, but our shipwrecks have been turned into ecosystems. And our mistakes turned into wonderful testimonies by the love and grace of God's.